there is always a nugget of truth. It's how it's extrapolated out. It's how it's then propagandized and, and all of these different things. And we can see this very clearly within within the abstract. I mean, it really gives you a, a, a very good indicator exactly where they're taking you ideologically with this. Welcome to the Rogue Journal Club, where we tear studies apart so you don't have to. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shio Sophia production featuring long-form discussions of peer-reviewed studies published in academic journals and their connections to society. I'm Adrian, And I'm Gina. We'll be your hosts. A journal club is when academics at universities get together to talk about papers. But we've gone rogue. We're going to do journal club our way. Join us. Today on the Rogue Journal Club, we discuss the article, The Cult of Greta Thunberg, Delegitimating Climate Activism with Religion. The article appeared in a 2023 issue of the Critical Research on Religion, and the first author is Yere Hiro. Today, we are also joined by Kieran White, multimedia journalist, the host of the Crowdsource podcast, and the founder of Wokescreen for his take on the article. So, our article today, where the hell does this rate on the scale of oh. fire to apple pie order, which we, I, I think our guest doesn't know that we actually looked up what the opposite is from dumpster fire, and it happens to be apple pie order. Um, ah. Well, I can tell you right now that this is anything <laughs> but apple pie, um, and um, I would just like to say how much I hate you for uh for making me read this i feel like i've gone down a couple of iq points but uh but i'm sure that you know our friendship will endure past this i hope at least but this guys you do not know what you're in for with this it's uh, i've run out of pen ink uh the amount of notes i've taken on this so uh, i think it's going to be quite a roller coaster of a show so yeah fun and games eh yeah my general impressions of this were, wow, this is very weird, but it is in a critical theory journal, so we really shouldn't be expecting anything other than weird at this point. So, amounts to propaganda. Yeah. Before we forget, and you've probably figured out if you're listening, that we're not alone today, Gina and I. Um, there's someone coming, some other call coming from inside the house, um, in this case. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined actually by a multimedia journalist, founder of Woke Screen, and the host of the Crowdsource podcast on YouTube, Mr. Kieran White, um, who's quite an expert in religion and multimedia journalism and all that. So we figured he'd have fun with this, and it sounded like he did. Um, that that's one. That's a very interesting word you use there, but we'll go with it for the purposes of this intro. Yes, I had fun with this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, and so our YouTube audience can see. I will put the article up here so we can start with that where is the window here it is here is our article uh today which i don't know how to pronounce his name so any of you who know how to say finish let me know because i don't know how to pronounce it but it's an article entitled the cult of greta thunberg delegitimizing delegitimating climate activism with religion and as gina said it it appears in a journal called Critical Research on Religion, so I'm kind of not surprised either. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, it's it's funny when the journals are titled stuff like this because I I think critical obviously has two meanings, and one is the normal meaning, and one is the 
not normal meaning. And so these journal titles are very misleading because you think, is this a religious studies journal? And then you read the paper and you're like, it is most definitely not a religious studies journal. It's a critical theory journal. So the critical part is the important part of the title, not the religion part. Critical so. in terms of problematizing everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those glorious container words, as I call them, where they use, you know, they, they repurpose and retrofit common language so that they are able to uh, slide them in under people's noses with not realizing. So if you read this, you think, oh, it's just, a, you know, critical thinking, religious, and you, you're none the wiser until your spidey senses go off within the abstract, which I think we're going to get to. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <clears throat> per common thing here, we'll just read the abstract <clears throat> for our audience, and then we'll just dive into your thoughts. And if there's particular places you'd like to point out to the to the reviewer, of course, obviously we'll read them for audio, but be, hopefully be able to show them also for our YouTube listening audience. Uh, contemporary climate activism has often been called a religion or a cult. We investigate what is done with climate religion discourse (CRD) by whom and to what ends. Our case study concerns Finland, one country out of many, where forms of climate activism are regularly dismissed by equating them with irrational religion. We find that political parties and newspaper columnists use terms and phrases such as millennialism, prophet, messiah, cult, apocalypse, virgin Mary of climate religion, and children's crusade. We argue that these are examples of strategic othering in the Finnish context. We observe that this religionizing stems from the activism's incompatibility with prevalent economic rationality and that gender is a significant theme in CRD use. An unintended consequence of CRD is that it constructs those forms of religions which religion which do not disturb modernity and the capitalist order as more legitimate than others. Where do I start? <laughs> Where wow. do I start? I don't know if anyone wants to jump in before I, I get my little uh, laundry list of notes that I've scribbled down. <laughs> I or think do you want I'll, me to get... I you, think go, you go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do like a general impressions thing. So I, I went through this paper a couple nights ago, and I am an ex-lefty. Um, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I was very this like climate panic feminist kind of person. And I've talked about this in other places, um, especially on this show and other episodes, that I used to be uh, a climate activist and I got paid for it for a couple of months even. Um, so I'm familiar with the position that the, this is coming from. And so I was, it was interesting to try to read it from my old mind and my new mind. And so I often have like two people in my head having a conversation whenever I read these kinds of things. And so I will attempt, at least in some part, to play a little devil's advocate, but I want to make it clear that I generally don't advocate for critical theory approaches to anything because it's anti-rational and stupid. <laughs> and that's not a very professional thing to say, but I'm in a mood today because of some other things going on. So I'm just going to say I don't advocate for critical theory I used to be an environmental activist, so I can understand where they're coming from while also disagreeing with most of it. So that's all I'm going to say at the beginning, just to preface. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. And I I agree with you. I think I look. I think as much as we can poo poo the whole thing here, um, there there are. I mean, you know, the thing is, is there are always nuggets of truth in certain aspects, whatever ideology it is. Um, the, the, I mean, there's no limit to that statement. Every ideology, I... there is always a nugget of truth. It's how it's extrapolated out. It's how it's then propagandized and, and all of these different things. And we can see this very clearly within within the abstract. I mean, it really gives you a, 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 a very good indicator of exactly where they're taking you ideologically with this. And it, it was fascinating because, you know, that they are quite clear cut in where they say that uh you know the activism is it's incompatible with the prevalent economic rationality as it is which is which is you know capitalism the capitalist system or to not use a marxian term the free market system as it is right not that we yeah. really have it it's basically cronyism but what have you right we'll, we'll split hairs on that but the point is that they realize that there is obviously a, a disconnect there which is why all of these critical theories are there to begin with is to critique these positions but i did find it interesting that straight out of the gate they and this is what i will get into when we get further on in the article in one of my notes was they have already started off with the wrong position because they are conflating cults with religion a cult is not inherently religious there are religious cults but a cult does not have to be religious to be a cult and i'll just just so yeah. you frame it the characteristics of a cult are as follow these are kind of seen as a generistic characteristics uh charismatic leader exclusivity isolation or a sense of isolation um strict disciplinary controls um indoctrination a sense of exploitation there's always usually some kind of uh, apocalyptic belief and also very uh, that you cannot question uh, or there's there's you basically have to 100 percent commit to the cause. Now, all of that, while you could apply it to certain very fundamentalist religious sects, it is not inherently religious. So by them framing and conflating cult and religion and starting off on the whole thing that somehow it demeans other religions, well, by using the word cult, they're showing that they don't understand and they're conflating. So that was my two cents with that. And it was really gave the alarm bells running in my head as to where they're going and what they're trying to do with this. But we'll see what I they, was actually uh, involved. I was I was actually involved in my late 20s um, with what could qualify as a non-religious cult that was a medical treatment that was on the internet. And all every single thing you listed, you could check off, except possibly the apocalyptic thing, but mm -hmm. you could even twist some of the things they believe to being a form <laughs> of that, like alarm, some kind of alarmism where it, sure. this was, uh, you know, everyone's going to be sick in the world except for us that kind of thing so it was yeah. not quite but you could you could twist it that way um but yeah i almost died from it so i am wow. definitely um 
I don't talk too too much about that story because um, they are kind of a litigious group of people. So I don't say names. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it, they're still out there. They're still out there. I don't think they've got a big hold on culture. And I was worried back then that they would, but they didn't. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate because they victimize a lot of chronically ill people. And yeah. Um, and I don't, yeah. So just, there was not a single shred of religion in that. It was right. very secular. They actually pretended to be science, um, which right. was, that was how I got sucked into it. So, yeah. It, it's, it is interesting because I think the apocalyptic belief, I think, yes, that could be uh, quite a malleable statement. And I think that could be extrapolated further out as a sense of um your group or your mission is to bring about change to the world for some kind of bettering i think that might uh also but i think that could also be on the local level with your own individual self as well a, a collective self not necessarily you know meteors are going to come down we need to change what we're doing but it is, yeah, it's interesting. It sounds like, uh, I mean, everyone knows uh, about Scientologists and exactly what they're up to and, and what they're like when it comes to people that want to push back on those and how litigious they they, they are when, when you kind of push back on certain things. So, yeah, that sounds awful. But, uh, yeah, glad, <laughs> glad you came out the other side of that. Yeah, I have I have uh, rationality and... Um and uh reasoning and popperian falsification to thank for my life and uh yeah so i'm a little i guess i'm a little bit of a popper evangelist uh the philosopher <laughs> the, the, the philosopher of science yeah. carl popper i'm a little bit like that's my bible if i have to put it yep. because i mean this is the way that i keep myself from falling for that over and over and over again like i see a lot of other people do who don't have this what i think to be Popper's greatest gift to humanity is this reasoning that so many people want to fight against. Like they want it to be not, they want someone to overturn it because it's not easy. Um, but it also is at the same time, but that's a whole, I feel like I need to start my own like Popper podcast or something because I have so much to say about it or I'll just sit and read the books uh, like on the mic and like not take any credit for the ideas. Cause they're not I mean, mine. So episode on popper if you like or a couple of we things. should we totally should i could pull any number of random pieces of the i collect the books i even like have like a rare copy of a of the open society in my on my shelf i'm kind of a, a yeah a little mildly obsessed so i can pull some things if we want to do that someday <laughs> that'd be yeah. cool that'd be cool yeah um yeah and, and i mean for me this is a uh, interesting because of course as our listening audience would know i'm perfect on the professional side, I am a climate scientist for a living. So interesting in <laughs> full disclosure there, there, we put that there. Um, and, and, and I'm, and you do believe it is a real thing because the data supports. Well, yeah, this. No, I mean, yeah. The data supports that it is a real thing and that humans do actually have a profound impact on their environment. What's quite interesting about this is that when you get into, I, I want to preface this this way because there is not actually literature that I know that supports this. So, you all have heard the you know, 98% consensus and what have you about climate change and things like that. I've made this point a few times and I'm waiting for some social scientists to actually take it seriously and do said research on this because the 98% number is just scientists think climate change is real. Okay, fine. That's a very generic 
statement kind of thing. Um, you could think that's human caused. You could think that's naturally occurring. You could think it's some combination of both, which it is. Um, <laughs> kind of thing for the record there. Um, but there's not the next step to take it to the point of what the activists, and I want to make a very careful distinction because there's a very big distinction between what the scientists might think and what the activists think. Um, and I did this on a video on the channel a week or so ago in that I don't think activism and science are fundamentally compatible with each other anymore in that activists don't care what the truth is as much <laughs> um, as just going after whatever, whether it be a left or a right activist, they just generally don't care. Whereas the scientist's job hopefully is to get at the truth. Um, but my point in all that is that the notion that it's the apocalyptic end of the world, but you know, like Greta Thunberg's statement of, well, you've robbed my dreams and all this other kind of crap that she that she said at one point. If you can't tell, I'm not. Hello, I'm not a huge. Hi, fan. Gina. Hi. Yes. Um, this paper was awful. Uh... <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I, it was an important caller. I would have hung up. My husband got it, so it's all good. <laughs> okay. Um, but. They never take it, they've never taken it to the next thing to how many scientists would actually agree with the statement that climate change is happening, is human caused, um, or mostly human caused, and is apocalyptic end of the world. You know, if you do if you do nothing, it's gonna be the end of the world. Nobody's gone to actually go to that extent to actually say how many scientists would agree with that or what percentage. So I'm sorry. So if you hear the 98% number being shown around in favor of an activist message or being used in the favoritism of an activist message just recognize that nobody's actually done that study <laughs> to give okay that that's good to know i think the consensus messaging in general is harmful though because that gives them an impression that science is a is conducted by surveying expert opinions and that like a collection of expert opinions equals a data set which it doesn't and that's not how science works that's not falsification yeah i'll also out myself and say i haven't seen that study done doesn't mean it's not out there and i just missed it somewhere because there's so many damn studies nowadays but anyway i agree yeah. this is a propagandistic piece of garbage <laughs> well i mean you know when i started reading this this felt like leftist policy position tried to be legitimized through the the guise of a scientific study mm -hmm. and and, you know, to your point, Adrian, about the activism, something that I always say, and it's always something controversial, because a lot of the people that, you know, Adrian and I associate with and, and what have you that do a lot of good work, they like to identify themselves as activists. And I don't agree they're activists. I, I categorize them more as advocates. Because, you know, so I was I was talking to a friend of mine um, a little while ago, and she 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 identified i mean she was like original black block antifa she came from the netherlands and everything and and her and i were talking about this and and she made a very interesting point that stuck with me and it's why i carry on with this line now is that the thing with activists is they will protect the ends at all means if you're an activist you will not allow new not like if i came to you Adrian, and said look i've got a study here that this is rigorously tested and it shows actually climate change is one big lie, nothing exists, and here's the evidence that has been rigorously, rigorously uh, fact-checked uh, and everything to show where the flaws are in the data that's existing. You would at least look at that 
and use your critical eye and your expertise. And if you found that it was legit, you would go, okay, right. Where do we take it from here? What, where, how do we get to the next point of the ultimate knowledge of to the, to the end goal of finding out what's going on? An activist won't do that. If you turn around to an activist and say, here's something that actually uh, disqualifies all of your, uh, your, your, your kind of grifting mantras and your, your advertising pieces, they will dis- dismiss that completely because they have to protect the end goal. Yeah. The easy point is uh, an activist cannot take on new information that jeopardizes the mission, whereas an advocate can, they can adapt and they can move because their pursuit is truth. Their pursuit is the goal at the end of it, however they get there and, and what have you. So, yeah, this is uh, when it comes down to the activism side of things, it is... Um, it, it's very clear. And there are some points that are in here that I'll make, but I'll wait till afterwards because otherwise I'll get rid of all my points. So they're addressed further on, but they are brought up in what you said. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So where do we want to go first? We, with we should explain like the general overview of what they did so that people understand because they used a methodology called discourse analysis in this, which is actually a legitimate methodology in, in the social sciences. But um, I think to me, it seems like the discourse analysis and the, the data they collected is pretty cursory and maybe like almost uh, they did it just for the, the fact that it's a journal article and what they really wanted to do is just espouse this viewpoint as almost an op-ed, like a think piece that is being disguised as a scientific study. To me, that's what it seems like, so. No, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, discourse analysis can be a very valid way to do it with the scraping and what have you, but I know I made notes in there. It's like, <clears throat> wait, 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 you used a grand total of two publications from Think Tanks. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, no, that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> it doesn't count. Yeah, they, so I'll read. So they're, they're basically what they're doing is they're looking for evidence of climate religion discourse in conservative and libertarian uh, news, um, party materials, they, they, they just forums. They don't touch the left ones. They will never touch the right. left ones that might actually be somewhat religious in their discourse, too. And again, notice their very hard, you know, fast and loose definition of far right as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean we can talk about that too. I'm I'm going to give a quick summary of their, or I'm going to read the beginning of their data and method thing. So I don't know if you want to put that on the screen or something so that people can see it, since we have that ability to do that with this fancy streamyard thing. Um, so I'll wait till you have that up there. Yeah. So our data comes in three forms: party-produced materials regular newspapers, and an online discussion forum. Our primary data consists of party think tank publications, party newspapers, and regular newspaper opinion columns. These are collected systematically via keyword searches to capture climate religion discourse. As supporting secondary material, we will utilize unsystematically collected news stories from regular Finnish newspapers that mainly report on the sayings of politicians, which were discussed in party newspapers, and a Finnish far-right online discussion forum topic that exhibits the climate religion discourse. Our time frame is from 2019 up until 2022. So, and then I guess what they define formally 
what they mean by climate religion discourse. Did they define that anywhere? I can't remember. Um, to a degree at the beginning. Um, yeah, it's in the, it's in the introduction. That's 134. Oh yeah. They quoted the telegraph. So I find this kind of interesting because I was like, well, that's not a totally unreasonable, uh, thing that they were quoting, but they, okay. So they said, for example, Madeline Grant in 2019 wrote in a, in the conservative British newspaper, the telegraph, religious thinking pervades our supposedly secular age from the purity obsessed, clean eating fetish. I actually kind of agree that that's a purity obsessed fetish, but anyway, to the unforgiving online lynch mob with its public shamings and demands for penance, Thunberg with her apocalyptic warnings and pippy long stocking plates has become a global icon in a matter of months. More striking than the ubiquitous crowds accompanying her, however, is their quasi-religious reverence. She is portrayed as a child prophet, a modern day Joan of Arc and her ability to inspire a movement. So they consider language like that to be climate religion discourse. So, and I'm, I'm still, for, forgive me if I, it's just been lost on mon, my unscientific eyes in the gobbledygook here, yeah. but I'm, I'm still quite unsure of exactly what, what weight they're putting on specific things. For example, this is clearly an opinion piece yeah. placed in, in what we call the Tory graph, because it's very well known that the Telegraph is the go-to publication to leak policy. So you can kind of give it a bit more weight in the UK because it's where policy gets leaked to kind of test it. And, uh, and, and then the, the government will then react on the public reaction to it. So it might be a good idea to look at that for a conservative government to go, actually, let's put a bit more weight with the Telegraph articles. But being that it's an opinion piece and it's not uh, an actual uh, a writer there or someone, it, it, I'm unsure exactly why they're concerning themselves because oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're actually analyzing <laughs> opinion. That's what discourse analysis is. It doesn't mean that they're looking at factual or rigorous studies or citations or data. They're sure. looking at how people talk about it. So anything that anyone says about it is fair game for the analysis because it's about what are people's opinions? How are they expressing their opinions? So it's almost like a meta, um, they're, they're just analyzing how people talk about the topic. So that counts. It's okay that it's an opinion. Yeah, so I guess I guess what I mean is that yes, it's an opinion, of course, within that it it works. But this whole thing in general, obviously, it's good to get a sentiment of what people think. But surely, wouldn't it be a whole lot better to get uh, the opinions of, of of policymakers and the ideas of sort of things that are actually going to move the needle on policy rather than what people are saying online that don't are unable to you know like oh, the, the messaging. Mean. Yeah, like why it, are they, like why are they weighing the opinions of of random journalists? Far right chat boards. Right. Well, yeah, I guess you don't, yeah. I I don't know who wrote that. That could be a real person. I guess it could be it could be Chat GPT. I don't know, but I guess I I think yeah, that's an interesting thought. I guess uh, the conservative think tank publications might have opinions of but yeah obviously i think that's the strongest i think that's the so strongest broad. out of the data set in terms yeah. of trying to analyze what they've got as to actually how it has real tangible obviously people's uh <clears throat> you know online discourse does change the needle 
uh, and, and move the needle in terms of, you know, groupthink and, and things like this and influence yeah. and obviously, um, but it just, I don't know, I think it goes back to what you guys were saying before was that it feels very much like they've gone for low hanging fruit. They've got a grievance. They want to put it out there. Yeah. And then the actual data to back it up is done after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. They're not doing a broad um, agnostic search of, right. of a large set of different kinds of discourse. They're picking the most extreme sources that are likely to produce the kinds of things that they want to use to say this thing is exactly. happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of what I get up <clears throat> upset. It, se it seemed like they were upset at some of the language being used to bless them to describe describe some of these activists, which might actually be very fair language for some for some of the activists i would not say all of them necessarily but i mean if we go back to the tenants that i gave you for for what constitutes a cult i think if we critically think about some of the the, the i wouldn't say because i don't think a climate activist in and of themselves can individually be a cult all-encompassing cult within one person of course not but i think when you have a, a movement and you you look at all of those different things then they definitely do qualify, bar probably a couple of couple of factors. But but yeah, I think the cult the cult does actually. I mean, you know me; I'm a stickler for language, and so I like things when they're very precisely used. But I do think that cult is the closest. I quibble on the idea of religion. Um, I think it might uh, it might echo a couple of the, the the frameworks of a religion of like a belief system and things like that. But religion in and of itself of how they're using it. No, I wouldn't call it religious cult, but I'd call it a cult. Yeah. Yeah. And I was I was gonna add the um what ticked me off with this as the statistics right in my brain was kicking in um reading this was you know, you you grand total of a couple of pubs for one thing, which is not a great sample size to work with. Yes, you're doing keyword searches and the number of times certain things appear, that's fine. Um, so you might get more of a sample that way, but it's a keyword search and the best you get out of that is the number of times a word appears. Um, and and, and the do they use, I, I don't know, I mean, I don't do this um, sort of analysis, but does this account for context of how it's used? No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to have done that here. I know right. you can do that, if you get more involved in looking at different sections and say, okay, what's the context? What were they talking about? And the thing, but like all the snippets they have in here where they're talking about what these things are, they just give you that kind of basic snippet, but you get nothing itself of the context of why that snippet was said in the original piece to begin with. And so what you're left with is something that is pretty much wholly anti-scientific in the sense that you've got to rely on basically you know a good good amount of trust in the authors that they are representing it right. fairly and given that this is a very biased piece of work to begin with i don't trust that slightest i don't think they represented any of the articles that they talked about in here with snippets fairly yeah and let's be we shall be honest with ourselves here doing science is not the purpose of critical theory yeah. um it's the it's it, that they're they're specifically deliberately trying to not do science and 
the point of it is to uh the means justify the ends and you all know this yeah. very well so the or is, or is it the, the end? yeah the the sad thing is that there are lots of academics who uh don't think about science and falsification which they use every day in their jobs but they don't apply it broadly to all knowledge who think that journal articles like this are science and so they believe what is said in them and i see I saw it a lot when I was working. I see it vicariously through my husband's career now. And it's very, very depressing <laughs> to see that happen. So, yeah. I think, I, I think Adrian and I touched on this in a, in a previous show that we'd done where we were looking at uh, the way, you know, studies get legitimized through the press. And what you'll end up getting is the way the sausage factory works is you'll get a scientific study done. Usually it's been funded by, you know, a company that's got interest in certain outcomes. Then it gets pushed through a PR agency. That PR agency sends the the findings and uh, a nice glossy uh, press release to a, to a journalist. Usually those journalists have got high targets. They've got to do like 10 articles a day. They're like, oh, gosh, what do I write about? They get that in their inbox it's press release so they can do what's called journalism which is pretty much copy and paste they trust because it comes from a pr that they know and it's a scientific study don't you know um so it's got that legitimacy um but no one and I, i'm not going to pretend that i know how to read scientific studies in 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 the way that you guys do it's uh it's harder than it looks folks um unless you mm -hmm. actually know how to read these things um and so what ends up happening is because of budget cuts in newsrooms you don't have technical editors that are, are able to look over the legitimacy of certain papers but it goes back to the point that you were making that just like when some just because something's published in a book doesn't mean but it has all of the optics and just because it's got a nice abstract it's got a you know a nice doi number it's in a it's in a uh, you know a nice publication does not mean that that is 100% a study that needs and should be taken seriously. You still need to put your critical head on and not that critical head on, but the right or critical the head on. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But you notice as well how they're very clever and to the point that you were making in the way they frame things, they give you just enough for you to kind of understand where they're going from, uh, going with, but not enough for you to be able to have enough information that you could independently then start picking holes in their analysis. Mm -hmm. They they gatekeep yeah. the information, but they give you enough to feel like they're being transparent, but not enough for you to then able to uh, analyze it yourself. If you already think that conservatives are evil and holding back progress, and you already think climate change is the end of the world, you won't be motivated. We've got a paper for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You are. You aren't going to be motivated to like look at this. Um, you're not going to be motivated to to see where the flaws in the reasoning are because you it's emotionally going to be gratifying to you. And I will say that the right does the same thing. So oh, I'm not going to yeah. say this is exclusive to the to this worldview. Um, I don't really identify with any political party because I'm tired of the ideology. I'm basically in the popper party, if that's a, it's 
if that's what I, you I'm but... libertarian. I loathe yeah. them both. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to read something from their section on legitimation because this bugs the crap out of me. And I see this kind of thing so much. And oh, Can you're I do Adrian. One thing real quick yeah, I, sure. I just, I just real quick decided to look up the, you know, every journal, for those of you who may not be aware, every journal has. <clears throat> of aims and scope or journal description of what the focus of the journal oh, is i think it's kind of relevant um uh-oh <laughs> let's let's do this <laughs> i think it is quite <coughs> relevant here so uh hold on a is second. this the this journal's is... website yes um, okay Critical Research on Religion is a peer-reviewed international journal focusing on the development of a critical theoretical framework and its application to research on religion. It provides a common venue for those in great engaging in critical analysis in theology and religion studies, as well as for those who critically study religion in other social sciences and humanities, such as philosophy, sociology, anthropology, psychology, history, and literature. A critical approach examines religious phenomena according to both their positive and negative impacts. It draws on methods including, but not restricted to, critical theory of the Frankfurt School, Marxism, post-structuralism, feminism, psychoanalysis, ideological criticism, post-colonialism, eco-criticism, a new one for me, and queer studies. The journal seeks to enhance an understanding of how religious institutions and religious thought may simultaneously serve as a source of domination and progressive social change. It attempts to understand the role of religion within social and political conflicts. These conflicts are often based on differences of race, ethnicity, class, religion, uh, region, gender, and sexual orientation, all of which are shaped by social, political, and economic inequity. The journal encourages submissions of theoretically guided articles on current issues, as well as those with historical interests using a wide range of methodologies, including qualitative, quantitative, and archival. It publishes articles, review essays, book reviews, thematic issues, symposia, and interviews. So, <laughs> I mean, the Marxism is right there on the on the main page. So, I guess there you go. I don't. Yeah. I have no idea what eco criticism is. I have never heard of that before. But um, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab in the dark here and just say that this is you know to to look at critics of the eco agenda and not the you know, good environmentalism. But I mean, this this could just be boiled down to power studies, you know, if I was to coin a new area of, uh, you know, study. But, you know, they're being quite clear with the Frankfurt School there. And I didn't know whether you had anything more to add on this because I was going to just bounce off of this bit here of what they're saying. I realized we, we, we went ahead and now we're going back a little bit, but it's fine. This is, I think this is going to be the theme of this paper um, because where it where it says that uh you know uh climate activism and old politics you know they make the point here that for example you know they they highlight uh thunberg's uh you know her aspergers and as someone who has has aspergers i don't think that that really has any point at all um in there in fact if anything i think it should given the right kind of stewardship would actually give her more of a legitimate uh you know aiming sort of being able to work out the the bad from the good but it was it was kind of thrown in there as a as a nice kind of thing to say well the right are manipulating her uh or not manipulating her but using her as a scapegoat and what have you and then it went on 
to you know the the finished context as being between post-materialistic values i.e individualism environmentalism self-expression and minority rights and values emphasizing material needs and uniformity of culture basically maslow's hierarchy if you want to kind of distill it down to a visual um but i'll be quite honest with you that you know when it comes to what we're seeing here i don't really think that, that really has too much of a of a of a say in in much of what what this actual paper is in terms of you know the the context between uh you know the current post-materialistic values and apparently the far right uh uniformity of culture because to be honest with you even if you are of the right you still do believe in the certain values of this you know individualism even environmentalism you know conservatives were the original uh environmentalists but not isms um and self-expression and all of these things and it just shows that when it comes to critical theory they don't quite understand where well they don't really understand much if i'm being colloquial in my uh <laughs> in my my attack of them wow. but yeah it's and you know again the whole far right thing uh is really bugging me as well um because there's a point i want to make but i want to make it further on so i'll i'll wait Gina, I'll wait. Sorry, we cut you off so go back to oh, the... yeah no oh. it's fine i think it all it all kind of bleeds together anyway like all the points are all kind of dancing around the same thing i think though that i want to point out this legitimacy thing this really drives me nuts and i when i was teaching science writing uh, in my former job, I used to hammer on this kind of thing a lot. And I think science communicators make this mistake when they talk about like, well, there's the proper expert opinion and there's legitimate science and there's, you know, not legitimate science and there's legitimate opinions and there's non-legitimate opinions. And you can take the illegitimate things and label them, you know, so this is very irresponsible because it's actually all a logical fallacy called the appeal to authority. And these people are making a mistake. So I'll read this thing. So ever since Max Weber's foundational writings on political sociology, I've read that. I've actually read that. And I'm not sure why they're citing Max Weber because Max Weber would not like this stuff. So the concepts of legitimacy and legitimation have been part of a social scientific vocabulary. Legitimacy is commonly used to assess whether the state or other institutions command respect and obedience in the public. Legitimation in turn, as used by Peter Berger, some author they cite, serves to explain and justify the social order. In other words, legitimation explains why an institution is as it is and also why it should be as it is. Now they're saying, they're kind of accusing the right of doing this, but the right accuses the left of doing this as well. And I think they're both wrong because we don't, we don't, science is not legitimated by uh, who is the proper expert. It's legitimated by the method. It's any quack with a blog could write a well-reasoned uh, falsification-based uh, piece of work on whatever claim they're trying to make. And if they are using good reasoning and they're using the Popperian falsification method, then you, you can consider it. It's part of the scientific, uh, I guess, discourse to use an unfortunate word, but it's part of the scientific discussion. And if they don't use that style of reasoning, then it's outside of science. And that's all it's required of. It's not 
It's not about like who from the top down calls this idea legitimate and this idea not legitimate. It's all about the method. So that's, I think, kind of the problem, one of the problems with journalism and critical thinking as a concept, which is like from John Dewey, all that stuff is you can use fact checking and verification and appeal to authority and critical thinking to justify any crazy thing you want to believe because none of those things are the falsification method. So that's my soapbox. And I, I want to say this to the listeners as well as to whoever wrote this paper, if they happen to find our episode, legitimacy is, is not a relevant concept. It's, it's falsification or not falsification. So that's, yeah, it's, I was going to say, it sounds like Clarissa doesn't like this article either. Oh, you can hear her. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Clarissa, your presence has been requested. She doesn't want to come. She's mad that I'm trying to put her on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, she just doesn't she like was, the paper. <laughs> yeah, she was getting fired up with me. She was like, meow, falsification. That's what she was saying. <laughs> so is it, that's right. Got hello. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, anyhow, cat distractions are always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome cats here <laughs> and dogs okay and- so anyway that's my that's my soapbox i i probably went a little over the top with the emotional uh presentation of that but you know i mean this is like i think this is the core of it is like people don't know how to think anymore so well, yeah that's why I mean, this stuff is appealing to so many yeah. people and that certainly yeah. wasn't the only logical fallacy, because I mean, I I saw ad hominems, and I think it's also a logical fallacy if you're misrepresenting the argument of your opponent too, if I remember correctly, or it's it's some kind of fallacious reasoning. Yeah, that's the the straw man. Yeah. Yes, yeah, straw man arguments when you rep- misrepresent. There was a lot of straw manning. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of the that both sides do that to each other. It's actually what makes congressional hearings so frustrating to listen to. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, which, uh, which reminds me, did you catch the guy who? Uh, did you catch the news about the guy who decided to pull the fire alarm in the house yesterday? No. Well, I as I came I, as I came in the front door, I was gonna, you know, I thought that opened the door, but apparently it just, you know, set the. F- yeah, he ended up because they were trying to come to, you know, what was it? The uh, the budget. I vote on the budget, so that government yeah. was shut down, and it was in the house yesterday, and the Senate voted on it like really wee hours this morning, but. He was. He claimed he was rushing off to the boat, and it was a door that normally opens. And so he leaned on this thing that he thought would open the door, and he set off the fire alarm. So he claims it was an accident. Mm-hmm. But then I saw the photos, and I'm like, how the hell is that an accident? Because that door is labeled left, right, and center with emergency exit only. And he pulled the fire alarm next to the door. So I don't necessarily buy the argument oh. that he did that by accident. <laughs> No, no, there is no way. There is no way. And the pictures they're using for that as well, there's like little signs that are confusing that say, you know, pull the alarm and they'll open after 30 seconds or something like, but in the actual CCTV footage, the surveillance camera footage that we don't have the video for yet. We only have the still frame of it, which is interesting, but those, those, those confusing signs aren't there. So he's just gone to the fire alarm, lifted it up and pulled it. So, uh, but what do you expect from the Democrats? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't expect a lot from any of them at this point. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, 
right, let us continue. This, there's a spot here that I also had a comment on. So this whole like serves to explain and justify the social order and legitimation explains why an institution is as it is and also why it should be as it is. That is a hella straw man right there. So first of all, um, legitimation is an invalid concept. So if, if, a, if a falsification based path of reasoning happens to support something that is part of what they call the social order that is just how it is but there isn't anywhere near a value judgment on whether it should or shouldn't be that way that that whole should thing is not what a lot of right-wing people are saying they're describing the world as it is but not necessarily saying it should be that way because i have a lot of statements about why academic career paths and why, uh, you know, why a lot of things in the career world are the way they are. I don't necessarily uh, think that those things are good, but I think it's important to meet the world where it is if you yep. want to solve any problem at all. So I think this is a serious straw man um, because when you explain why, like if the data supports something that happens to be part of the social order, as they call it, which I don't even like using that phrase either, because um, it implies a dominance model, which I don't agree with either. So um, no one's no one's necessarily saying that it should be that way. That's not necessarily implied. So anyway, pisses me off, man. <laughs> so, okay, well, I'll stop ranting because I think I've probably lost everybody. So I'll let you guys go to the next point. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um... Yeah, I mean, I know I, I we passed a couple of points that I was going to make um, just in that, like, I was thinking up here of just as a point of note for our audience with uh, concurrent with the youth move, movement inspired by Thunberg, another activist group, Extinction Rebellion, started making headlines internationally that, that uh, with their sit-ins and what have you. I just had a note here to myself and like, idiots they don't work there is no study i know that supports that those tactics actually change minds <laughs> and most no. of the time, i don't think people off i think at this point everybody around the world has probably seen the footage of the idiot protesters and burning men who got who pissed off the tribal police department <laughs> essentially well, you also find that a lot of these groups are also funded by a lot of the big oil companies as well and there are a lot of investigations going on into that of how they're being funded and i don't even th i think it's gone beyond the point of whether it actually works or not i think it is a pure uh pr campaign i can't quite put my finger on exactly what it's trying i think it's effectively it's not to change the hearts and minds of the populace it is to put pressure and so absolute mayhem for local leaders or national leaders to the point where they have to act and whether that's bringing out more stringent laws on protesters that that you know squash everybody's rights to protest which we have in in the uk as a result of a lot of this stuff um or whether it is to enact these these big far-reaching uh you know eco policies that aren't actually environmentally friendly. They're just because there's a lot of people invested into this this area, and that's why they, you know, largely that's why it's got such a big industry behind it. 
Okay. Nope. So yeah. Yeah, the 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 sit-ins that I participated in in college, there was a point where I I told my my club mates that we should probably find a new strategy because I don't think the administration is listening to us and I was made a pariah for saying that. I was absolutely everyone freaked out and they all started yelling at me about how what are you are you trying to tell us we're an activist group and we're not supposed to do protests anymore now imagine all these people are in their early 20s so like you know the frontal lobe's not fully developed yet i was actually older than everyone because of my life being a mess so i don't know but yeah i was definitely like uh made into an outcast for suggesting that we do something other than sit-ins and protests so yeah it's pretty tough actually trying to inject rationality into that world. So, yeah. All right. So where to from here? So we hit the legitimation. We hit the protests that don't work. We've hit some ad hominems and straw men. Uh, here I don't know. Yeah, I, I was just going to very quickly say that on the legit before we go past the the legitimation um, point, I, there was one bit I highlighted, and this just brings it back to my original point, and it's in the second paragraph there where they're talking about the MAGA cult. Mm. Um, so if you scroll down, there we go. So that. yeah, so it says here. <clears throat> For example, when the supporters of Donald Trump are called a MAGA cult, the supporters are delegitimated, uh, but so is the type of religion cult the group is likened to. Therefore, we will look for such implications of the language use at hand. What form of religion uh, are legitimated and delegitimated as collateral effects when certain actors criticize the climate movement? Now, again, this is the issue here because they they conflate the two inaccurately anything that follows on from this is is incorrect because you know a, a cult isn't a a form of religion it is a uh a, a sort of a dark perversive kind of power and and psychological grip that people have over them it's not a cult is not de facto a religion it has all of those tenets i explained beforehand but it does not mean it is a religion therefore anyone and i do think maga you know the real hardcore maga i think it has formed into a cult and uh and ultimately and i mean that in a strict sense of that diagnostic protocol that we've got there when you do that when you say you know a maga cult that is not taking a knock at any religious group so anything they now say from that point on where they're trying to conflate the two and look into it and seeing how it stigmatizes other religions it's all wrong it's all wrong and it's it's such a it's such such a schoolboy error unless you have an agenda for doing that see i was going to say Karen, because i was wondering mm that myself and i think i wrote it down someplace later but <clears throat> this is a good point to talk about it too in that i i do wonder if the conflation is actually intentional because there is a push to from the left hand side to delegitimate things such as catholicism and judaism and you know the judeo-christian principles and things along that line which do have do have a lot of connections with the founding of different western nations so 
I do wonder if it is somewhat intentional to, you know, conflate religion and cult and be like, well, you don't want to be part of this religion. They're, you know, cultish and they're intolerant and all this other kind of jazz. So I do wonder if that is, obviously I have no way to prove it, but I do wonder if it is somewhat of an intentional conflation. I think it's very on brand for critical theory for them to plant the seed in, in the reader's brain and to conflate um through a lot of clever tricks to conflate the two because it doesn't i mean we know through the critical theory it is it is about belief rather than facts and the facts are only found to support whatever the belief is and so i think the conflation there i think you're bang on the money i think it is intentional and it is it is positioning it positioning it as a real legitimate thing when it isn't to then in the reader's mind to conflate the two cult and religion so yeah i i think i think you're very close to the point there i would say you're bang on the money with it this uh the trump line when i re i remember reading that and having to read that paragraph several times because i was like did they just basically reveal their strategy by saying <laughs> like they basically said, for example, when supporters of Donald Trump were called a mega cult, supporters are delegitimized. And, but so, so there's so th these are the same people, presumably, who call the Donald right. Trump group a mega cult. So they're so they're saying yes, and we use that strategy ourselves to delegitimize Trump supporters. <laughs> and that's and what also, that sounded like to me. And I was like, wait, yeah. so are you saying we shouldn't do that? But it's okay for certain people to for do that to group. Yeah. If it's it fits with the Marxian thing of repressive tolerance from right. Herbert Marcuse. Right. You tolerate everything that comes from your own side, but never from the other. Right. And yeah. I mean, you know, the whole delegitimization of, of religion is a very Marxian thing and in all of itself. It's not just critical theory. However, critical theory, you know, as I always say, critical theory is a toolbox to find whatever it is that can destabilize and 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 do what they need to do to bring a about carnage effectively and so but i i think you're bang on the money again gina because it, it reads like that it reads that they're kind of on the one hand they're trying to sound balanced by going um you know when supporters of donald trump are called a maga cult we do that uh the supporters are oh no they're delegitimated de god wouldn't that be bad if they were delegitimated yeah. delegitimated um yeah, and then and then and then when they say you know um and um uh implications of the language use at hand because we need to look into it because it's very bad for other reasons uh, for other religions but then they're kind of going Oh, could we delegitimize other religions by also doing this and conflating it in the public's mind that religions are also caught? Like, there's there's two kind of ways you can read this. I'm probably inferring yeah. a lot and putting a lot in there, but I'm only in I'm only putting that in from the the tips and tricks of yeah. critical theory as a whole. Yeah, it kind of just came across to me as inconsistent. I was like, wait, that's not, if I was writing this, that's not the example I would have used. I, I think that it's almost like showing your hand in, in a well, way. Well, exactly, because the other way to read, the only, the, the, the other way, the only other way to read it is that a critical theory journal is a standing up and taking sympathy with the MAGA audience and saying it is wrong to call them a cult. 
Yeah, that's, it is wrong. To me, that's yeah, the only I mean, opposite. And I agree that it's wrong to call them a cult. I mean, I it's it. I mean, wrong as in not morally or wrong, but like incorrect. I guess. I mean, maybe it's not it entirely. I guess there's. I, yeah. I think I think there are aspects. I think the hold hardcore do definitely fit into the characteristics of a cult in in yeah. a very technical definitional term. But I don't like broad statements right. about the yeah. MAGA group because you know, right. look, you've got someone that voted for Trump once and identifies as MAGA, and then you've got people that believe in Q and believe that he's the second coming. Right? right. You know, they're yeah. completely different people. There's a spectrum for right. sure. Yeah. Yes. And it's like. Yeah, it's just uh, I I'm I'm with you. I don't like buzzwords because they they have the result of being a blanket kind of generalization, which is rarely helpful. So, I mean, the thing um, is, what about what uh, about the Obama cult back in the day? You know, that was like a movement. That was a movement of hope. That was, I mean, he was everywhere, absolute everywhere. Yeah, he had the the Che Guevara artwork, the style. Right, exactly. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. Yeah, that was very weird. <laughs> the posterized um, kind of uh, graphic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, where to from here? Yes. Where to from here? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Karen, you had a you had a big. Karen had a list, so we can just. I know. <laughs> I've got a list. <laughs> I'm like the I'm like anti Santa. Um, well, I think that that sort of concludes that little bit I've got, and I think. I think the point that I, the bit that I wanted to get to, I guess is, um, well, I guess it works to go through this somewhat methodically, which is a rather uh, oxymoron when it comes to critical theory. But <laughs> when we get to the general observation section on, I think it's page three, I have written down here after table two, it was a little, it was a very slight little bit that they slipped in. And it's something that requires the reader to do a little uh, ex extracurricular activity. Um, mm -hmm. Because <clears throat> I was, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think going back to what we were discussing originally, I think generally speaking, I think Adrian, you'll be the best person to comment on this, that when it comes down to the climate debate, I don't know a, and I, I stipulate this by saying rational, I don't know a rational person or a rational party in the climate debate that denies climate change exists. That's not the contention. The contention is to what proportion humans have an influence on their environment. The contention is to what proportion are these politicized, because you've got to remember the policies, just like with the COOF stuff, when they say, oh, the COOF caused this. No, it didn't. It was it was government policy. It was all human action with the policies. Policies closed down schools. Policies the COOF did not do that. And the same with these policies, the climate policies. It's not global warming. It's not global boiling, as we're meant to now call it. That's not the thing changing stuff. It is human intervention through policy. That is where the attention should be. So it did interest me that they seem to frame, well, they frame the far right Finns party, which I looked up their platform. They basically seem a little bit bit to the left of the Republicans. Um, and I also looked up their platform and they do not deny that climate ch change exists. They take issue with the uh, climate change alarmism, the uh, agenda, the policies. And this sticks right in the claw of these critical theorists and the people on the left 
because they see anything as climate denialism and it's not at all yeah um no karen you're 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 right this is i mean this is independent of the science itself it is an observation that i've had for a while and that others have had and actually a lot of scientists who are in the more advocate to sometimes activism space will also admit this that for a lot of us who might seem to be denialistic the or denialistic in terms of the left and mm. theorists and what have, it is more so because we do not agree with the solutions so a good example yeah. of this in terms of the u.s is uh benji backer and his american conservation coalition is very much republicans interested and concerned about climate change but they want free market solutions they don't want government really in-depth solutions and i kind of side with that because i don't think government control of everything is a good idea um <laughs> i think that ends somewhat badly um as it were so there is a lot of that there's also the case where that happens with scientists who at times point out that there are still some things in the uncertainty vein that we don't necessarily know about a couple of good examples of this has been uh like Judith Curry, who has actually been pilloried uh, more than a few times, she very much agrees that, yeah, climate is changing. We need to do something about it. She disagrees with some of the assertions that are made because she thinks, whether rightly or wrongly is an argument in there for the scientists to have, that certain things are too uncertain, that you cannot model this kind of thing well enough mm -hmm. to make that kind of prediction or apocalyptic projection that you're trying to make. Um, and she gets pilloried. Pill when she's appeared um, on climate related things, because she has been somewhat of a go-to witness in, in congressional hearings and what have you, alongside others like Roger Pielke Jr. and things like that, who had a very similar situation happen with him, she's pilloried in the media as being a denialist. But if you actually talk with her, she's not. She's very yeah. much not. Um, and so, yes, it is. I, I can agree with that from my own observations of things going on it has been more so about mm -hmm. denialistic um if it is denialistic at all it is denying whether or not the uh left of center policy choices are going to be the ones that work well and i think where i have had a problem again my own opinion with some of the some of the policies that would be favored <laughs> left to center is that they tend not to be very thoughtful about the implications of these things for the people they are claiming to help um in a good in a good example i know colleagues uh colleagues of mine were saying for the middle of the country where gas is somewhat cheap they want to see it get to ten dollars a gallon because oh it'll force everybody onto electric vehicles mm -hmm. um two things there with that i was thinking about it and like hey you couldn't possibly say that outside of this conference space that we're in because that would end badly where we are um kind of thing and then the other thing well i was like wait a second how many folks can afford the electric vehicle when they can't afford the ten dollar gallon gas so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they're not actually thinking about whether or not that's good and helpful for people i think the belief just to play, just to play the devil's advocate on that, um, just to play the devil's advocate on that position, because I'm like actually not against electric cars personally. Um, no, I'm I think not either. I'm not the view, yeah, the viewpoint I think they're coming from is that if gas were to get that expensive, 
that it would push innovation in the electric car sector, which would ultimately make the electric cars more affordable because of scale. So that's possibly the position they're coming from. And I don't know if that's actually wrong. I don't know if it's all if it's correct either. It's just one of those hypotheses about economics that you have to just like let it play out. And there may be models that you could run to to test that. So it's I don't think it's an entirely incorrect thing, but obviously the I the 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 tone which this paper uses quite a bit is this like almost spiteful disdain for people for yeah. poor people for working class people in general and that hurts me because i've got that's weird and, for marxists isn't it yeah i read this actually <laughs> so uh i have this book called the essential Lippmann. so walter Lippmann. do you know who walter Lippmann is if you've been in journalism you might know who he is yes yes okay so i read a lot of walter Lippmann, at least right now that's my current fixation and he has this phrase where he said it's not that the marxists uh they don't particularly like the poor they just hate the rich that's, right yeah yeah <laughs> and then I, the essential Lippmann should just be called walter Lippmann mic drops because it's just yeah. like one piece <laughs> after another of like uh uh yeah like so you know if i was like doing hip-hop which i'm terrible at i would be just like reading walter Lippmann to a beat you know anyway <laughs> so <laughs> but i mean i mean that is true though i mean you know when you do any economic policy on the left they have a very very robust policy of how to take money off of people but not a very robust policy of how to for lack of better terms equitably redistribute that where it actually gets most bang for the buck they go they suddenly go oh, we can do this with this tax and do this and tax this billionaire and do this and do that okay well how are you going to do oh we'll just give them blanket checks or we'll just you know give welfare out we'll just do this and so you know the, the marxism is is basically an ideology of grievance and uh and, and disdain yeah. for what you haven't got but i think i think that is that's the key thing right you know the average you know you've you've got the two different sectors here right you've got the the intelligentsia the people putting these studies together and you've got the average man on the street and the average man on the street does not worship a carton of gas right doesn't go <laughs> i will not let go of you you're the best thing ever right no if you turn around and say look we can give you a battery that actually is a lot better than that it's half the price and your life is going to be a whole lot better with it they'll be like fine whatever's good for me yeah. the average man on the street worries about paycheck to paycheck they worry about their, you know, doing stuff that isn't going to erode their freedom by doing it and by having control over making that decision for themselves. I think that to me, the whole climate change thing is not something that is my guiding light of every action I do. As an individual, I think we individually uh, like our immediate vicinity to be clean we don't like to litter we don't want to pollute stuff we want our local area to be good and i think that extrapolated out does a whole lot more benefit than saying you cannot do this you've got 15 minute cities here you've got uh you know uh, carbon credits all of these things and and so what then happens is if you open it up to the free market and the free market are, are driven by profit good on them and there isn't any kind of, uh, you know, backdoor action with the government to enact policy they might not get through through other means. 
And they're all like, think of desalination, right? If there was like some space race equivalent to desalination, my God, like you could think of all the like the companies setting up to do that. But it's because they're so used to subsidies that they're not they're not really that incentivized to do it. There's not really too much of a push. But if you've done that in the free market, you know, as much as all my qualms, anyone that watches my channel, Adrian will know this, as much as my qualms with Elon Musk, you know, what he's done with Tesla, even though the batteries still aren't up to, I think, scratch for, for what we need to make a wholesale conversion, I think the average person doesn't care about the politicizing of these matters. They care about, is what you're giving me better? And do I have the option to say, no, I don't want this. I want my gas guzzling truck. If 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 you've got the, out, the option, they will choose what's best yeah. for them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there. Did you catch the petro masculinity and petro nostalgia? Were those the most strange words you've ever seen? I, did you see that? It's in the end. I don't it know. Oh, that. I might have fallen asleep before I got to that point. But wow, you didn't tell me there was uh, there was that sort of uh, yeah. Last no, you got, you got to hear. You got to hear this. This is on the last page, right before the funding statement. So, Donald Trump. Don yeah, you can pull that up. It's pretty hilarious. And also really expresses that spite, spiteful disdain towards the working class tone that is so very common. So uh, scroll up to the top of the page there. It is the very first paragraph on that page. Um, yeah, Donald. It actually starts on the previous page, if I think. Oh, yeah. this, this is the important part anyway. So um but you can go back to it if you want. Uh, Donald Trump's key talking points involve a type of petro nostalgia, making America great again, as it were, would involve a limitless supply of inexpensive gasoline and the maintenance of jobs related to the extraction of coal and petroleum, both conceived as necessary to the white working men attached to the masculine ideal of a breadwinner job. Far-right movements such as the Proud Boys blatantly combine such notions of masculinity and political authoritarianism. That's not political authoritarianism. I don't think they know what that word means, um, first of all. But like that whole thing is such a cartoon. It's like, have you guys met? I mean, I know one person who it, it works in the coal industry, but it's like they've never actually met white working class men ever. Like, no, they never have. It, it was so many... Yeah, it, it is a pure character caricature of everything, and they have just stuffed that full. It's like, oh my god, guys! Like they're at the focus group after writing this paper, and like we got a whole page of buzzwords we haven't put in. I know we'll put it in the last paragraph. The only thing they didn't do that would have really tipped it off is they they forgot to mention why bread is racist because generally it's white. So uh, that that was the only thing they forgot to add in there, but. Uh, <laughs> I will, no pun intended, but I'll leave that little breadcrumb there. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely insane. And it, it really does tell you, like, look, you read this last paragraph. Usually most people will say, just read the abstract and you can pretty, get an, pretty much get an idea of what the paper's for. With this, I think actually with the critical theory papers, I think you're better off reading the last one because at that point, their mask is off and their their patience is done they're like right we we just want to get to our mo here and everything just comes out and so i think yeah. that pretty numb sums it up well i i think yeah. i think 
the things I find funny with this, of course, is they spend all this time. It, it it's never implicitly it's never explicitly stated, but it's implicitly there how capitalism is evil. I'm sorry, a lot of the things that you want to put up in policy wouldn't be possible if we didn't have capitalism. Thank you very much. Right, right. I mean, again, to play devil's advocate, because a lot of people do say, well, you know, if they're Marxist and they don't believe in capitalism, why do they buy things? Why do they? Well, actually, Marx did say that under a capitalist system that you are allowed to engage in a capitalist system as long as you yourself do not own the means of production. So it isn't technically hypocritical in that sense, but that's just a very nerdy uh, little point, little footnote to put in there, because a lot of people do believe it's hypocritical that they, you know, partake, but actually it's it's full on brand. Yeah. I just wanted to make a point here because this this is actually where I was going back to the conflation of religion and cult because they're talking about this in the Lutheran Church respects its modern role as merely a segment of social life and faith is considered a personal matter. It tends to be the leftist worldview, by the, by the way, is that faith is only a personal thing. You can't actually act out your faith in society, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Crucially, the Lutheran Church never interferes with hardcore political topics such as economics. This is why I think of it, think they're conflating things because they obviously either they do and they're con just ignoring it and trying to make it awful or they don't understand this but there is nowhere in christian teaching that i know that teaches you know uh, th that you about collective responsibility it was hammurabi's code originally way back in the way old ancient days of the world that basically mm -hmm. said that the son should be punished for the sins of the father and it was biblical values in judeo christian principles that said the opposite no you are responsible for yourself um, you're responsible for your individual choices and you essentially make the choice of whether or not you're going to go to heaven or hell. We're not going to force you. There's no cultishness about it with the exception of the very crazy religious sects that, you, that you've mentioned here. And so I, I find this interesting because they think, well, no, 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 this, this is a, this is a cult of its own that is, uh, you know, just allows capitalism to thrive and it doesn't, it doesn't push back against it like it should because capitalism is evil <laughs> some of those kinds of undertones of that attack on religion but they really don't understand that a lot of christian religious faiths lutheranism included in that have an individualistic component that it is your own dang choices that somewhat decide whether or not you're going to be in heaven or hell mm. <laughs> and never ever ever like the crusades were wrong and things like that because we did try to force people to believe christianity i mean that did happen things like that but the key foundational teachings of christianity are basically along the lines of no we're not going to try and force you we're going to we're going to go out there and we're going to say yeah and you know christ christ is awesome and you know savior of the world and all those many kinds of things but never force you to believe that never is what happens ever in christian teaching with the exception of crazy religious sects <laughs> and and this is a thing though i mean but they're coming at it from the collective they believe yeah. in collective guilt they believe in these tribalistic views where just like the maga cult thing they will wrap everybody up in the one universal statement so it's when you turn it like that and read it from someone that would actually be reading this because they'd have interest in the journal they would definitely be like oh that definitely makes sense I Go think it must be a a um, a trait of any kind of new new revolutionary idea that they go through a phase where they want to force everybody to do it and then eventually realize that you can't. And I think the Catholic Church and Christianity went through that phase 
And now the left is like, this is this great new idea. We should force everyone to, oh, wait, we can't do that. I'm hoping that it gets to that realization someday. I don't know. I don't know because there's no way to predict the future. But, um, you know, it hasn't looked good. It usually has to hit rock bottom before the realization that we can't coerce people into believing what we want them to believe is realized. So um, I, I think ultimately, I think it is, you know, again, this is always controversial when I say this, but I do feel that, you know, uh, individualism isn't uh, isn't inherently a human trait in itself. I don't think it's a natural state of being. It's something you have to work towards because, you know, from a from a primal sense, you 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 work in groups and and sort of groups yeah. and things like that. And so these are things that you do have to work at. And I think that that what you've just described there, I think yes, it will have it'll wax and wane, but it will come back it will come back it gets it gets kind of weakened for a period of time then it comes back it just comes back to fit whatever the environment is that it is meant to fit but a little funny funny thing so i i, I thought i'd do a little bit of research right and i thought to myself you know they want to conflate religion and cults and environmentalism or you know this eco-alarmism so i found that in the 80s there was a ugandan cult called the movement for the restoration of the ten commandments of god okay and they were both a christian fundamentalist uh, cult and eco uh, basically environmental apocalypse uh you know kind of thing so i mean it's, it's a great story of of doom and gloom um <laughs> So yeah they they basically um believe that the world so their apocalyptic thing was uh the world is going to end due to sin but also environmental degradation um and one of the i forget the guy's name but like the main the main pot honcho had direct uh you know direct comms with jc and then the the one down was like apparently you know pillow talk with the virgin mary so they had like a little hotline going uh allegedly um but they're dying here (laughs) (laughs) the the rules here were apparently they all had to be silent to avoid sin through speech which i'll be quite honest with you i think that i could apply to a couple of other people uh, that i know um but you know so not all things are bad in cults you know i think that rule of silence is very good no um but they all had to sell their personal belongings and give the money to the cult i mean we saw this was sort of like you know jonestown and a lot of those different cults yeah. Now, this is where it gets interesting. They predicted the world was going to end on the 31st of December 1999 um, through a catastrophic event. It didn't. It didn't. Okay. Um, wasn't that? Spoiler wasn't that the, Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're still here, guys. You know. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, sorry if you're a time traveler and you're, you're just listening to your podcast in the wormhole and you're going back in, you know, just sorry. Um, but wasn't that when the like the what was it the the two thousand? What did they? Yes, that was it. When everything was going to end. Yeah. The world was going to end when we hit two thousand because the computers couldn't handle, <laughs> couldn't handle the conversion. I mean, to be fair, my computer can barely handle most things. I think if it went into a new century now or a new millennium now, I think it might explode. But um, but no, it didn't happen at that date so they they revised they got back to the calendars and they went right guys right right you know i've just been on the phone to jc and he has told us that actually it's going to end on the 17th of march 2000 okay um then plot twist 
a fire breaks out and kills hundreds of them. But then it's later found out that actually it was started by the leaders to basically just just kill them all. So uh, that was a little uh, fun little uh, tangent there on both a Christian fundamentalist, so a religious and an eco cult. So uh, magic, both of them. Yeah, that's like hell on earth and in the afterlife at the same time. It's just hell all the way down. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like my life. But yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but i you know i i I don't know like i i'm personally an atheist and i have seen this on the right and i've seen this on the left and i think i do have an issue with the right and i look i know adrian's beliefs i know my audience beliefs and i respect that i really do and that's why i tend not to touch the toxic topic of of religion um but i will say that I do find an issue on the le- on the on the right is when everything and I'm not saying everybody I know Adrian doesn't do this but a lot of things now are viewed through the lens of religion this is satanic this is satanic and I think it's bringing satanic panic 2.0 you know Sam Smith I can't stand the guy I don't want to watch any more videos because he wears devil horns he's not satanic right I don't believe in the devil you know i'm sure other people do that's fine Mm. but my view is that you know i i know people that believe in that woo woo stuff and people believe on woo woo on the other side and what have you and actually a lot of it is just kind of just self rituals and and stuff like that unless you do believe that it has some significance which i'm not taking away from people that do but i think that if we complain that people look through the lens of critical theory on the left we also need to stop looking at things and framing it through the lens of religion on the right because that in that gray zone there that's where truth and objectivity come in and so and that's that's the left will say that you cannot practice your religion it's incompatible i'm not saying that i'm just saying that when we're in the pursuit of truth then the right really needs to stop with the the framing of everything through religion yeah, I have a I have trouble with that when I watch Jordan Peterson. Say so I, I like some of the things he has to say, but he does kind of go, well, I don't get the sense that he's actually uh very religious, but I think his followers he, think he is. He and, was not and he's changed a lot recently in what he thinks. I think so part of it is the fact that he's on the Daily Wire as well. Yeah, I, and he yeah. They, had that guy on this is like way off topic from the paper but i think it re- it's relevant to what you were saying about the like satanic panic 2.0 he had that guy on from the sound of freedom uh mm. that guy the our guy and yeah. they were calling they were calling i guess some of the the things uh satanic ritual abuse but what he was actually describing are like the bizarre sort of african tribal rituals and they're not necessarily satanic but a christian would call it that because it's just what you call somebody else's ritual. They're heathens. Like right. So, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily satanic ritual abuse. It's still gruesome and awful. And, but it's, it's actually, uh, we're the weird ones in terms of history for not doing stuff like that. Like this, this is where, yeah. where we're at now. We should be real happy because we were slicing and dicing each other like it was nothing yeah. like 200 years right. ago. Right. You know, <laughs> people used to go to public executions for fun. Like we're yeah. not there anymore. And so though, like when you rel- religify things, like you're basically just sort of downplaying human history 
in your ability to understand why some groups would do stuff like that. And I'd love it if no one ever did that stuff, but I, I think, it, I think you've you, hit the, yeah. yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. And it, I, I spoke about this in a show the other day, which is very controversial. I go, I know this is off topic a little bit, but I'm going to say that it's still on topic because we are in the realms of critical research on religion here. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But um, I, I, I don't know whether the, the listeners, the viewers know of the, the Serbian performance artist, Maria Abramovic. And she's talking about this. Yes. Now, she is very controversial, fully understand. She's very out there with, with her performances, doing very spectacular. I don't mean in a, in a good sense. I mean in a very, like, spectacles. She'll paint stuff on the wall with pig's blood and she'll do what she calls spirit was it spirit cooking where she'll have like a live model and they'll be eating the syrup and yeah so they'll they'll be doing all of these things but the point i was i i made the point that she's not satanic they write her off as like satanic and and all of this she's a performance artist that pushes the envelope you don't have to like what she does but a lot of that stuff same as what you were talking about, like the voodoo, the, the black magic, all of these different things and the, the shamanic stuff as well. A lot of it is is very um, ritualistic and metaphorical in yeah. in what we need to do. And I think as well, like if you're dealing with performance art as, as ghoulish as it is, dealing with sort of death and very horrifying kind of looking things, I think it pulls back to us questioning our existence our battles and the darker side of humanity and things like this but again people to your point when we religious re, religious religiousize religiousize religify i don't know good sample Pick that yeah. sample that um <laughs> yeah but when we do that i think we deny ourselves such a fundamental learning of the knowledge of the 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 anatomy of the problem and the psychology behind things because if we and i think it's akin to outsourcing blame if we blame something on being satanic or bad or things like this we don't learn anything about the phenomena we don't learn anything about the individual that's doing it and how it came about and so to bring it back to this study if we start kind of uh you know where they're saying you know religious cults and greta Thunberg being a cult and things like this I think by looking at that, they're not really looking at the main grievances people have with these policies and what this environmental apocalyptic narrative has on people. So did you like how I brought it back there? I, yeah. I looped it back, looped it back mm -hmm. round. Yep. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're the pro here with the podcasting, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I've just got a fancy mic and a couple of lights. That's uh, My... don't don't be fooled. My 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 rhetorical style is like, whoa, hold on, bring that back here. Wait, where <laughs> was I again? Uh, oh, there I go again. Like that's my style, basically. So <laughs> mine's perpetually untangling. Hmm. That's that's like I leapfrog. I eventually make my way there, but then I'm like leapfrogging on lily pads around and going like different directions for a few minutes. And just... But it always loops back, so that's the main thing. Yeah, you're. Are you like the toad of conduct in the video, the toad, where he? Have you seen our toad of conduct video? I think I think Adrian showed it to me. Okay. I think yeah yeah. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my band so dolphinspaceprogram.com and you can go to YouTube and see our ridiculous videos because um. 
Well, anyway, you should just go see. We have one um, called Government that we, if the government shut down, we were going to share it, but we, but they didn't. So um, <laughs> it's it's about uh, mints that you take to freshen your breath, and they're issued by the government to um, make it so your your mouth is not uh, offensive to anyone. So they're <laughs> they're governments. Oh, yeah. I love. Well, you still and got time because I think they only I only had like a stopgap for a couple of yeah. weeks. I think. Oh yeah. Well of november yeah okay yeah there'll be time but yeah it's based on a song also called governments that we wrote so um i just yeah. noticed anyway uh you guys have one that's a message from the office of freshness yeah that's that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah check it out it's good time yeah, <laughs> i will add we it have we have one that we're going to record later today that's about the border crisis and it's a, a counter march of jimmy buffett fans going the other way to the mexican border so coming soon <laughs> it's done in the style of the jimmy buffett style uh, you know with the ukulele and the you know all that so it's it's going to be fun <laughs> okay let me let me bring this let me bring this back on topic because I I don't know how much more we can hit here if there was any for yeah. anything in particular anybody wanted I to. I think I think we made our point, but I, like I don't have any more commentary. Uh, but no. you guys feel I mean, free. Well, the only commentary I have to add is this is a prime example of how not to do a scientific study. <laughs> really, because yeah, there's no hypothesis. There's no real analysis. It's cherry picked results quite clearly to me. It's cherry picked yeah. out of context with combinations of straw men and i did find some ad hominems at one point at one point and i'm just like that's yeah not right to do um with assumptions made that are never actually proven and like all sorts of little things like well like like it's like this and uh, oh like basically basically claiming certain things are conspiracy theories but never actually you know saying it's a conspiracy proving it's a conspiracy theory those kinds of things come up quite frequently yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah and there's the ad hominem insult in here against one of the uh one of the folks they were one of the folks they had a context thing of it's at the end of it's 142 in the top page title but i think um let me go up to that real quick just so i can show that because it's yeah, it's in the very bottom of 142. This is the only other thing that I want to mention because it wasn't just straw men. It was it was quasi ad hominems because um, it wasn't like out and out saying an ad hominem, but you might as well have um, was this thing here. So in this example, non-modern religion and its collective collectivist crowd mentality act as a barrier against scientific thought coupled with using nature for humanist for human needs in a colonialist way. Conservative columnist Aaron Ruth opposes <clears throat> this unmodern religion with rationality, which should not be distracted by enchanting nature. Basically, including basically making accusations of colonialism and you know anti-indigenous and what have you, just because the 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 guy doesn't like certain things. So I mean, ad hominem's going in there all the way. Um, yeah, and that wasn't even really fair because I don't. I, I yeah, there were a lot of things wrong with that and. <laughs> I'm trying to find the the spot where. Oh, I don't even know anymore. Oh, this guy. So he. So this is actually one of the the things they quote. So it's not even their viewpoint, but you know, in this case, I'm actually against the conservatives in this way, where it's they're talking about. It's on page 143 at the top. Um, yeah. This 
he's kind of poo-pooing uh, the, the, he's basically accusing the left of being nature worshipers. And I think that's another one of those religifying things. And I, I think that's a little, it's a little loose. Uh, I'm not so sure that they're nature worshipers. I don't think they actually think wow. of it that way either. But it's I'm not entirely sure they care about the environment or nature altogether. I think it's a front for uh, other things, but that's my point. But he had he the the author they quote just makes this like sweeping sort of value exists only in things humans have created, modified, or appropriated. Nature as such is merely an enchanting process of metabolism. I can eat an adorable deer without remorse. Still, I leave uh, some painter uh osmo rahala's paintings alone because he's painted the intrinsic value of beauty and truth to them i mean first of all there's a whole theory, uh, subdivision of philosophy that deals with aesthetics and then a whole other one that deals with value theory so this guy's making this big sweeping statement that he's like i know what value is I'm like well that's a viewpoint he would have they would have to say well some people value things that humans have mm -hmm. created others put value on nature and but he's stating it like it's a fact so they find these these very extreme statements to represent all of conservatism and like that that's not actually what like every conservative thinks about nature i I'll, i will that's yeah so no no, no i yeah i see what you're saying and and that's that's an example of the cherry picking actually because i've been yeah. looking yep. for something like this but yeah it's definitely chair like yeah that's like one of i don't know i mean maybe a lot of them think that but i guess you don't know from the way they conducted this they they didn't do a broad agnostic search of lots of different viewpoints it wasn't conducted in a falsification style and that's why <laughs> this is not science yep one of many yeah. reasons yeah, one yeah. of many reasons. <laughs> any any other thoughts, or shall we? We've been going for like an hour and a half and changed. So I figure <laughs> I figure we've probably. Is there any particular other point you wanted to hit, Garrett, or is it? I mean, I guess I will. I will close uh, with with this on my points that uh, if you go to climate activism as a cult, um, they're not incorrect in what they're saying. In that, obviously, in the sixties. Uh, and I think Gina pointed out this of, you know, different religions and stuff or different uh, uh, sort of ritualistic uh, religious expression um, was deemed as cults because they were it was it was a sense of othering. And it was that kind of normative state of Christianity or Catholicism. That was the normal state. And so that was that was completely true in and what they say. Um, but it's it's interesting that they you know talk about uh so they they put this in here and they quite right again the term carries strong negative connotations with references to brainwashing abuse and widely publicized cult suicide um it is therefore perhaps unsurprising that the climate uh what do they call it again climate uh religious discourse is common to refer uh it is common to refer to the climate and so it it really fascinates me again that they do not understand because like that's an important part of this study it's kind of one of the backbones it's one of their areas that they're citing uh of of their data sets 
And so, again, it's fascinating to me that they are intending to conflate religion and cult. And just as I said at the top of the hour here, you know, the characteristics of a cult are charismatic leadership, exclusivity, isolation, strict disciplinary controls, indoctrination, exploitation, apocalyptic beliefs, and unquestionable commitments. So, you know, there is nothing inherently religious there. So the whole backbone of complaining the two here is misguided straight from the outset. And again, bringing it back to the point you were making, that this to me and to all of us here, I think, feels that, again, we have an axe to grind. How can we legitimize this after the fact? Yeah. Yep. It definitely starts with some assumptions. And that's, oh, yeah. You know, that's like a dead ringer for something that's non scientific. Oh, yeah. So, and you know what they say about assume? To assume makes an ass of you and me. Yes. Indeed. So, I think. So, uh, dumpster fire, we vote. I was going to say, right? I think we're all in agreement that this is a dumpster fire. I'm um, going to put this and my notes in a dumpster fire. I tell you this much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we told Kieran at the start that we do actually have a sliding scale when we review articles on this show. Like we rate them from dumpster fire to apple pie order. I think this might, this might fit a new categorization of dumpster fire. Like it's like flaming fecal matter in a dumpster or something. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's dangling off the edge of that. Somewhere. (laughs) I think this dumpster has got so hot that it's actually gone back to a molten form. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like so now we're getting into like petro nostalgia here right because it's classic, <laughs> so like... <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah. yeah touche touche <laughs> ah, i needed one today actually so... <laughs> well this has been really fun and i assume that it would be longer because there's three of us and so that you know that everybody needs to talk and that you know so i i'm a fan of three so come back anytime you would like here and this was great. well thank you so much for bringing me on it was uh you know adrian see adrian she could put she could put any study as much as i hate her for this anything that talks about language and a manipulation of language and cults and things like that i am like i'm like a cat to catnip so uh so yeah i'll 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 be I'll be back. Um, but thank you so much. Uh, I've really enjoyed myself. And uh, thank you for letting me rant about uh, cults and misuse of language. Fantastic. <laughs> thank, you for along. thank you all for watching. If you're watching on the replay on YouTube, thank you so much. Um, as always, like, subscribe, share, all that lovely good jazz. Of course, f- go find Kieran over on Woke Screen and the Crowdsource podcast. Um, where there's a wonderful show every Saturday morning, um, or almost every Saturday morning. Sometimes it ends up on Sunday, but that's okay. Only we if I've got the lurgy. Only if I've got the lurgy. Also, got the- you also, I, I must, little footnote here, I'm ruining your outro, I apologize. But uh, anyone listening, if you sign up on wokescreen.com forward slash join and use the code SHEOSOFIA, you will get 10% off your membership. We do community calls, games nights, um, 
all kinds of stuff on there. Absolute great community. If you're creative and want to send, uh, sell your artworks or creations through the store and don't want censorship um, or cancellation or excessive fees like Etsy do and all of these other things, we're building a movement. We're building the creative countercultural revolution. So come and find us over there. But thank you once again for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gina. It was a wonderful. I apologize if I was interrupting anybody because I got excited at some point Same. myself. I think we all did. Uh, okay, everybody, until next time, we hope you stay curious. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rogue Journal Club. If you want to suggest articles for the show, please consider becoming a supporter of shiasofia.locals.com. The link for the Locals community is available in the show notes. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shia Sophia production, copyright 2022.